Welcome to the Caleb and Phil Football Podcast, where two buddies from college review and preview Penn State football and the big college games. Okay, it's time for kickoff. Hello and welcome to the Caleb and Phil Football Podcast. My name is Caleb. I'll be one of your co-hosts today. Phil, Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Caleb. It's uh, 2021. We get to put 2020 in hindsight. Uh, see what I did there? And, uh, you know, I know for me, I uh, started back at work after two months on paternity leave, which uh, is a different feeling, but uh, it's good. What's new with uh, with you in the new year? Yeah, not too much. You know, just, again, like you said, hoping to turn a new page. The vaccine is on its way, so mm-hmm. hopefully we'll be getting back to normal here in the next few months yeah do you do new year's resolutions uh no not really because you know i don't really keep up with them yeah same i'm like i'm not as interested in in them i get some people are able to do really nicely with them like i know there have been people that have been able to do stuff like giving up smoking or uh reading more and stuff i i give great kudos i just uh, well, one, I don't smoke, so I don't have to worry about that for a resolution. And, uh, you know, just in general, I'm like you. Eventually, I forget about them. So Exactly. Mm-hmm. And it uh, sounds like Quinn's doing well. I know uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how big she's gotten. Yeah, it'll be good to see you and Zeke soon as well. Yeah, hopefully we can do that this spring. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, hey. Caleb, you know, I, I am really stunned that we've been able to do, and I think, I feel like I've been saying that every week for the last three or four weeks. Uh, I've been stunned that we've been able to do every single week uh, so far and, and put an episode out and that we haven't been, or that the season hasn't been canceled or cut short due to uh, COVID. I, I feel like that says a lot about the organization of these teams. And um, in a lot of cases, it starts from the top. So if you're ready for it, I'm ready to jump into some news and uh, and talk about this, the game we love so much. Yeah, let's get to it. All right, cool. So let's go ahead and, and let's jump into some of the news from college football. Auburn, who had uh, fired their head coach, Gus Malzahn, has found a replacement. Boise State head coach, Brian Harson, who is 69 and 19 in seven seasons with Boise State and the Bluefield. Um a couple or a couple things of note: Louisiana head coach Billy Napier and uh, Clemson defensive coordinator Venables both turned down the job for Auburn. And um, I guess this is uh, just something else to to look at when Boise State left, or whenever uh, Brian Harson left the Boise State job to go to Auburn. The candidate for Boise State was going to be Kellen Moore or the leading candidate was Kellen Moore. He ultimately decided to withdraw his name from consideration for the Boise State head coach job so he could remain as the Cowboys offensive coordinator. So uh, a lot of moves surrounding just one position at Auburn. Are you surprised that somebody like Venables would turn down this job, even though he's you know coordinator for a great team? I mean, this is an opportunity to have your own team. Yeah, um, from what I've heard, Venables has turned down jobs in the past as well, so not too surprising, you know, I don't know, maybe he has a dream job, I don't know what it is, you know, I don't think he's really younger, if younger at all, than Dabo Sweeney, so it's not like he's probably going to take over the Clemson job at any point, point. I think right. he has a son or two on the team as well, so maybe he's just waiting, you know, another year or two till they graduate before he wants to move on, 
But um, yeah, Auburn's a good job. So surprising to see him move on. Maybe he's just content being with a defensive coordinator and staying in South Carolina. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately for Venables, I, I believe it was his son that got uh, burned pretty bad by Ohio State. We'll look at that game in a little bit. A couple other tidbits of news here. Arizona hires Patriots quarterback coach Jed Fish. He had previously served as the UCLA interim head coach in 2017, getting a record of one and one. Um, I, from what I'm hearing, people are liking this hire. They, they are liking Jed Fish. But uh, we'll see what he's able to do with his own team, Caleb. But what I want to look at is another another Southern school here, and that's Texas. I believe it was last or the, our last show before uh, the new year. We talked about how Texas said they were standing by their head coach Tom Herman, who had been thirty two and eighteen over his four years at Texas after leaving his job at Houston, where he was incredibly successful as well. Turns out, Texas said, "Hmm." We change our minds and they have decided to fire Tom Herman. The hiring process was a very quick one. They hired Alabama offensive coordinator, Steve Sarkeesian. Uh, He was 46 and 35 at two positions, Washington and USC. And Sarkeesian gets named or was named the offensive coordinator after Lane Kiffin. Um, I'm sorry. Let me walk that back a little bit. Sarkeesian was named the offensive coordinator at Alabama after Lane Kiffin went for the Florida Atlantic head coach job in 2017. So Sarkeesian's been everywhere in the NFL in case, or in the NCAA in case you haven't already uh, figured that out. You like this move by Texas? I don't know. You know, I I get when they were talking about, you know, going for Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer is one of the top coaches in college football, you know, and obviously he doesn't have a job at the moment as a head coach. Steve Sarkeesian, he... You know, I don't mind giving him a second chance. He had his chance at USC. He had that supposed drinking problem that got him fired from his job at USC. And it seems like he's turned his life around here with uh, working with Alabama. But, you know, to leave Tom Herman, who was, you know, I'm, I'm sure expectations at Texas are higher. But is this really an upgrade of a move going from Tom Herman to Steve Sharkeesian? I guess we'll find out over the next couple of years. But um, I'm a little skeptical that this is going to be a long-term marriage for Texas and Steve Sarkeesian. And I'm in 100% agreeance with you on that, Caleb. I don't really see Sarkeesian as the answer there, just based on his body of work. Um, I mean, yeah, he's been incredibly successful at Alabama. Give me one coach or one coordinator in the last 10 years who who hasn't had any sort of success. Alabama has been ruling the NCAA. It's not exactly like you're you're having to build from the ground up. And Texas, it, it's just interesting their predicament because, I mean, yeah, Tom Herman wasn't getting them to the playoffs, but, I mean, since Mac Brown, you really haven't been in serious contention. Herman maybe could have gotten you to that point. It seems like he's been close for the last couple years. Anyway, he gone. Uh, let's look down at Marshall. Marshall was a team that I really liked at the start of the year. They started the season seven and zero, ended the season seven and three. Yikes! Uh, their head coach Doc Holliday, his contract was set to expire, and Marshall chose to let it expire. He was eighty-five and fifty-four in eleven seasons with the program. Couple of uh, candidates: Byron Leftwich, offensive coordinator for who? Caleb? Tampa Bay Bucks. Tampa Bay Bucks. Yeah. Tampa Bay with Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski and really Byron left, which has been spoken of highly in the, in the coaching ranks. Uh, he's 
he was rumored or thought of uh, to be a potential candidate, I believe, whenever Cliff Kingsbury got hired as Arizona, but they thought he was too young. Another candidate for the job, Penn State football's running backs coach, Jawan Sater. So those are the two main ones. Uh, Caleb, if I'm between the two of them, I don't, I can't remember where Jawan Sater went. I don't even know if I ever really looked it up. I know Byron Leftwich is a Marshall guy. I love whenever they get to go back to their alma mater. So uh, I'm rooting for Leftwich. Yeah, I think Jawan Sider went to either uh, Marshall or West Virginia. So somewhere at least in the area if he didn't actually go to Marshall. But yeah, I don't know. I think the time may have passed for Byron Leftwich to take a Marshall head, head coaching job. You know, it's not a power five job. It's not an elite job or anything like that. And now he's gets to coach, you know, Tom Brady one of the best quarterbacks of all time, and he's going to probably be an NFL head coach within the next couple of years as long as he doesn't do anything disastrous. So I think uh, they may have missed their mark with letting uh, Mark, uh, Byron Leftwich be a uh, head coach for them, so they may have to go shoot a little lower. Yeah. Uh, Coastal Carolina University's head coach, Jamie Chadwell, was named the AP Coach of the Year. He is the first one from the Sun Belt. Coastal Carolina had a phenomenal season this year, and uh, – Definitely seems like it is rightly earned. And I mean, the Sun Belt Conference, Caleb, they aren't a power five, but since their creation, they, they're getting better every season. Yeah, between them, Appalachian State, obviously, they have some good programs there. You know, they're still going to be behind the AAC for the best group of five conference, but, you know, they're definitely building some blocks to let them, you know, get that group of five berth into the New York Six Bowl. Mm hmm. A quarterback that had been spoken about in, in very popular terms at the start of the season and really throughout, even though the team had, had their ups and downs, is Miami quarterback Derek King. There are some questions about if he was going to return next season or if he was going to go pro where he very potentially uh, could be taken pretty high. I'm not really sure if he would be considered a first rounder this year just with how deep that position is, um, but doesn't matter. Derek King said he's coming back for another season of play. Tours ACL in the Cheez-It Bowl. Uh, Caleb, you like this decision for him to just take one more year? Yeah, there was something I read. Yeah, he's definitely going to be a lower round pick. So, you know, give him a chance to hopefully build his stock back up. Hopefully this torn ACL, hopefully he'll be able to come back in time and play a full season next year and get back to full strength to, you know, help improve his draft stock as much as he can. Absolutely. Currently saying that he should be able to be back by training camp in August. But yeah, like you said, we'll see. Wisconsin quarterback Jack Cohn transfers to Notre Dame. Little uh, fun thing. Jack Cohn will get to play Wisconsin on September 25th. Uh, Caleb, I'm not as high on Jack Cohn. I'm, I don't really think he's a, a great passer. So I don't really know what Notre Dame is going to get here. I don't even know if he's going to necessarily be the starter. I'm assuming he will at least be the early candidate to start. But uh, what do you think of the move? Yeah, Ian Book mentioned today that he is declaring for the NFL draft. So, yeah, there's obviously a competition there for the new quarterback of Notre Dame. And, yeah, unfortunately, I think I think he's better than Stenson Bennett, but I think he'll be Notre Dame's version of Stenson Bennett where, mm. you know, he'll lead them. He won't lose them any games. He'll get them to eight, nine, maybe even ten wins depending on how their schedule works out next year. But if they want to get back to the college football playoff and be a contender for that, I think they'll need someone else. They'll need one of their younger quarterbacks to step in and, you know, prove themselves right away in order to get to that next step. A little bit of uh, some sad news here. Utah running back Ty Jordan, considered by many to be a, 
a possible breakout star, a phenomenal playmaker at running back. Um, he passed away. The report is that, well, he passed away of a gun, of a gunshot wound. The report is that he accidentally shot himself. Uh, in 2020, he was the Pac-12 Freshman Offensive Player of the Year. I know the team is is certainly um, hurt by this in the in the sense of you know losing somebody that they love and care about. We certainly send our condolences to Ty Jordan's family, friends, to the Utah community as they uh, as they mourn this death. Yeah, very unfortunate news. Apparently, he was a really good guy, good person, and things were obviously looking up for him as the offensive player of the year for a freshman in the Pac-12. And you know, it sounded like big things were ahead for him in the upcoming years at Utah and probably an NFL career. So unfortunate that his life was cut short. Yeah, always sad. We started to see the beginning of uh, some awards, or not the beginning. We started to see it, awards being passed out. Alabama wide receiver Devontae Smith was named the AP Player of the Year, the first ever wide receiver. Speaking of uh, of doing something unique or something great, Alabama wide receiver Devontae Smith also won the Heisman Trophy. He's the first wide receiver since 1991 when, uh, you know, some wide receiver from Michigan won it. Mm-hmm. Uh, in second place, Trevor Lawrence. Third place, Mac Jones. Fourth, Tr- Kyle Trask. Fifth, Najee Harris. Caleb, what do you think was went into the decision to pick Devontae Smith for Heisman over Mac Jones, the quarterback? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I think... Obviously, he has a lot of great talent around him, Mac Jones, with Devontae Smith, with Najee Harris, with John Mechie, with Jalen Waddle, who got hurt halfway through the year. So I think they kind of tried to downplay that. You know, is Mac Jones really that good? But, you know, Tua was in the Heisman conversation last year until he got hurt, and he had all these weapons plus more, plus Henry Ruggs and, you know, Jerry Judy, who are also first-round draft picks. So, you know, I think sometimes, like, the Heisman Trophy is more of a storyline, but... Devontae Smith had a great year, and I think he deserved to win this award, and cool to see a wide receiver win for the first time in nearly 30 years. Yeah, I love whenever non-quarterbacks are able to win this award as well. Um, I I think what really makes Devontae Smith stand out here was, and I heard analysts say this too, what he's able to do even whenever the ball is not in his hands. Or even whenever you know it's the it isn't the offense on the field. He's a dangerous return man. He's able to pull coverage away and allow other people to make big plays. Uh, there there are other wide receivers in recent memory that make me think like, oh, they you know they probably could have been in serious contention. Maybe even want to let guys like you know Ted Ginn Jr. Whenever Troy Smith won the Heisman uh, back in what was that oh five oh four I don't know mm-hmm. back way back when whenever we were. Much younger people, Caleb. But um, Devontae Smith, great job by him taking home this hardware. I know I'm excited, like you, Caleb, thinking he deserves this uh, this award. I am disappointed Trevor Lawrence is going to leave college football without ever getting a Heisman. But um, missing those two games, I think just uh, understanding what the – or trying to understand what it is Heisman voters look for and looking for that continuity of play. I think Devontae Smith was the, uh, was the obvious candidate between, uh, between at least the top four. Yeah. And as for Trevor Lawrence, you know, 
Um, Peyton Manning, he never won a Heisman. Andrew Luck, he never won a Heisman. Those guys both went back their senior year kind of expecting to win that award, and it worked out for them. So I think Trevor Lawrence will be just fine in the NFL. Yeah, I think uh, he may be bringing home some different hardware in a, in a few years, depending on what head coach is hired at his likely destination in Jacksonville. Well, Caleb, we had a ton of bowl games. We made a lot of picks. I did pretty awful in them. We'll talk about it later. But uh, at least for now, I'd love to to go ahead and start diving into them. Sure, let's get into them. Uh, first off, one of the early bowl games, number 16, BYU, crushing UCF. This is one of the ones you did get right over me in the Boca Raton Bowl, 49-23. And Zach Wilson had a great farewell game, 26-34, 425 yards, three passing touchdowns, two rushing touchdowns. All five of those touchdowns came in the first half, so he, you know, let it easy up there on the second half on UCF. Yeah, I love Zach Wilson, and that was I, he was the reason why I picked them over UCF. He was throwing some fantastic passes, hitting good sideline throws outside the numbers, and, you know, as whenever uh, BYU had lost to Coastal Carolina, there were conversations that Zach Jones, you know, lost his spot in the first round. Uh, I think... If people were watching this bowl game, and honestly, you know, I'm I didn't get to watch uh, the game against Coastal Carolina because I don't own the channel, but I have a feeling if you watch that game too, you'd see he's a he's a good quarterback. He's not gonna he's not your Trevor your Trevor Lawrence, but he's definitely like up there in being able to make good decisions, make good reads, knows how to not necessarily be the scrambler, but he can move his legs. So I like Zach Wilson. This is probably the only season I will root for BYU. So excited that they got to uh, end their season on a high note when in the bowl game. Yep. Uh, next game here, a game we should have had in the regular season, but we got it in a bowl season again, and it was a great game. Mm-hmm. Liberty ending number 12, Coastal Carolina's undefeated season, 37-34 in overtime. And if you didn't see this one, you missed a heck of an ending to a game. Liberty led 31-19 before Coastal Carolina was able to tie it at 34. It looked like Liberty was just going to, you know, kind of run the ball out and kick a game-winning field goal as time expired. But for some reason, they decided to run the ball instead of kneel the ball, and the guy fumbled the ball as he was stopping himself from going into the end zone. So Coastal Carolina was able to force overtime where Liberty made a field goal and then blocked Coastal Carolina's field goal attempt to win the game or to tie the game and force a second overtime. So good for Liberty. Malik Willis, the quarterback for Liberty, four rushing touchdowns on the game, no passing touchdowns. He threw two interceptions, however, and Coastal Carolina's quarterback, Grayson McCall, he had four total touchdowns, I think three passing and one rushing on the day. So good game for both those quarterbacks. Yeah, and like you said, a great bowl game as well. Two teams that have that are new to the FBS, competing really well, and uh, obviously I am super bummed that Coastal Carolina didn't get to end their magical season on a magical note. But, uh, I mean, you you just can't discount what they were able to do this season. And hopefully they can only build upon it. Great job by Liberty. I know they had a a couple losses in the season that kind of put a damper on what has been overall a really strong season for them as well. I can't remember what year Malik Willis is in. But, uh, I mean, I think that team collectively, and I think Coastal Carolina and the Chanticleers, collectively are going to have some some good talent coming back and hopefully like i said they can be competitive next yep 
Uh, next up, we got a top 25 matchup in which number 21 Oklahoma State survived a comeback attempt from number 18 Miami, 37 to 34. Oklahoma State quarterback Spencer Sanders, 305 yards, four passing touchdowns, three of which went to Brennan Presley. Miami's backup quarterback, Nikosi Perry, who came in for the injured De'Ara King, went 19-34 for 228 yards and two touchdowns and led the comeback attempt that fell just short. So, you know, if De'Ara King has to miss a game or two, I think Miami should be fine with uh, Perry running, running the helm. Yeah, because initially whenever D.R. King uh, went out injured, I, I was thinking, I feel like if Miami loses this game, like it's like an asterisk where you know D.R. King obviously would have been able to defeat Oklahoma State. Um, don't forget Oklahoma State at one point was inside the top 10 and, and having a phenomenal game. And uh, Oklahoma State's playing this game without Chuba Hubbard, who quit on the – I'm sorry, who opted out in the season whenever it didn't look like they were going to the playoffs. So – uh, great job by them. I'm still going to say it. And I know Sanders had a good game, but come on, bring Illingsworth in. I, I like that kid a lot. We'll see what happens next year. We'll stick with teams from Oklahoma as number six, Oklahoma crushes a shorthanded number seven, Florida team 55 to 20 in the cotton bowl. Rattler had a great game and maybe the Heisman favorite for next year, mm-hmm. 247 yards, three passing touchdowns as a team. Oklahoma ran for 435 yards total which uh, was pretty great to see, you know, maybe they felt compelled with their, uh, their guy, Trey Sermon leaving. They felt, uh, we can still run the ball even without you. Trask had a pretty pitiful performance, 16 to 28, 158 yards, three interceptions on the first three drives of the game. One of them was a pick six. So like you said here, this was the game most impacted by opt outs, probably, you know, between uh, Tony Pitts you know, a couple other the top receivers out for Florida. And, you know, it, it makes me not miss Justin Shorter. You would think with the top four receivers being out for Florida that a guy like Justin Shorter, a five, former five-star recruit, he would step up in a in a game like this, but he was un, unable to do so. Yeah, not, not so much at all. I mean, Trask throws three picks in this game. He threw five all season. He's a guy that's accurate and – it was clear at least one of those picks was one where eh, I'm not really sure it was necessarily Trask's fault, but I mean, he just, he made a lot of poor reads this game. He's going to have to go back and improve. What kind of frustrated me in this game was they decided to play this good luck game or this good luck video from Kyle Pitts, the, the superstar tight end who decided to opt out of the bowl game, uh, quit on his team to get ready for the NFL draft. And, you know, this video is like, oh, man, like, I'm I'm rooting for you, Gators. I'm praying for you. You know, y'all going to be blessed. And, like, starts – I think he even mentioned some players by name, like, rooting for them. I find those videos to be tacky and tasteless whenever you're somebody that quits on your team. Um, I, I just can't stand them, Caleb. And, and, honestly, I can't stand the opt-outs – Either and, and this is just something that every, anytime it happens, I feel like I'm going to bring it up just because one, if I'm a GM of an NFL team, uh, I would much rather see these players perform in game and see how they do with pads on in contact than, you know, how they do just like sitting and lifting weights in a gym. Also, if you're going to hold out or opt out of a bowl game, what makes me think you're not going to hold out of like your last year of your contract, like Le'Veon Bell did with uh, the Steelers. I Again, I just think it's 
I found the video tacky and tasteless for a guy that, you know, isn't in the game, not because he's injured, but because he doesn't want to play in the game. Mm-hmm, I agree. Come on, Christian uh, McCaffrey. Yep. Yeah. Uh, next up, we got the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl. This was another good one. Number nine, Georgia comes back to beat number eight, Cincinnati, 24-21. Cincinnati led in this one, 21-10, entering the fourth quarter. Georgia made a furious comeback, and then their kicker, Jack Pudlesny, with the game-winning 53-yard field goal for Georgia. And, uh, you know, we were excited about this one, and it turned out to be a really good game, maybe the best of the New Year's Six Bowl games. Yeah, I completely agree. And, you know, JT Daniels came into this uh, came into this team and really made it a, a different team entirely. I had a lot of confidence uh, or a lot of hope with Cincinnati and Luke Fickle in this game. You know, I picked the Bearcats to win it. Obviously, I didn't go in my favor, but... I think this game still made a big statement for them saying, you know, we aren't just this like small school that you can write off. We can compete with the big boys too. And again, it's a great job by Georgia. It was a complete game. They they were able to overcome some adversity. And I mean, holy cow, hitting a 53 yard game winning field goal as if there isn't enough pressure. Right. And, uh, and he drilled it. So great, great work. Mm hmm. Next New Year's Six Bowl, the Fiesta Bowl, number 10, Iowa State eases to victory over number 25, Oregon, 34-17. And of note, it was the final day at ESPN for Mike Golick, you know, sad day. I wasn't, I watched Mike and Mike, you know, from time to time, listen to it in the car on my drive to work when, uh, back when I had about a 20 to 30 minute drive to work. But uh, he's been a part of ESPN, you know, 25 years, something like that. So it's uh, sad to see someone of his stature leave. Yeah, I mean, for me, Mike and Mike in the morning, that was, you know, a radio program that my that I would listen to whenever my dad would drive me to school in the morning. And, you know, I'd love to watch it on TV whenever I had uh, time off and I could stay home. There was a one time period where I I eventually stopped watching. But while while I was watching, it was like I was obsessed with the show. Love Mike Golick. And um, it's a bummer to see him go. It's frustrating to me that ESPN is letting go of a lot of the good football analysts and instead keeping a lot of the uh, clickbait types. You know, even uh, even somebody that I, I used to really like, Dan Orlovsky, has started to get into that category. Um, but, you know, it's like, get rid of Mike Golick, but you keep Stephen A. I don't know. I'm sure Mike Golick is going to find other opportunities if he wants them. He's a, he's a phenomenal uh, analyst. I really enjoy hearing him talk during games and uh, wish him the best going forward. How about Iowa State being able to take a season that they also had their ups and downs, but Matt Campbell, a phenomenal coach, gets Iowa State on the right track and is able to beat a good program in the uh, Ducks of Oregon. Yeah, it was a it was a nice solid win. You know, they had a disappointing loss in the Big 12 championship game, so good to see them come back beat this Oregon team that, you know, had high expectations to begin the year. It didn't pan out, but that's still a good Oregon team and a good finish to the season for Iowa State. Yeah. All right. The final New Year's Six Bowl that wasn't a playoff game, the Orange Bowl. Number five, Texas A&M pulls away late to beat number 13, UNC, 41-27. Sam Howell, 234 yards, three touchdowns, and one interception. Threw a bomb 75-yard touchdown pass to Josh Downs that gave UNC a 27-20 lead, but unfortunately they would never score again as Texas A&M scored the final three touchdowns of the game. Um, their backup running back, Devin 
Akane had 12 carries for 140 yards and two touchdowns. The starting running back, Isaiah Spiller, 11 carries for 50 yards, also two touchdowns. I think Mond had a rushing touchdown as well. So, you know, it was a, this was a pretty good game and closer than the score indicated. Yeah, and I mean, Kellen Mond didn't exactly have like a, a dynamic passing day. I would definitely say Sam Howell was the better quarterback there, but uh, it, it comes down to who ran the ball better. And North Carolina, another school that was plagued by opt-outs. They lost how many running backs? Was it two or three? Yeah, at least Michael Carter and Javante Williams, the two-headed duo. But yeah, Diami Brown, their top receiver, was out of this game too, as well as you know another player too, I think, as well. Yeah, so the fact that, again, the Tar Heels are able to make this game so close, and, and I agree with you, the score does not indicate how close the game really was. Uh, I think it says a lot about the program and Mac Brown. I know that he's going to be losing a ton of talent to the draft, but uh, I think he has a lot of talent that's going to be able to do good stuff with them. Caleb, I, I've been really impressed, though, over the last few seasons. Uh, I know I've been a little... Oh, I know I've been critical of Kellen Mond for, you know, his big talk and for for a number or for a, a long time lack of results. But I am really impressed with what Jimbo Fisher has been able to do with the Aggies and, and you know, build Texas A&M back up to being a, a powerhouse and competitor. Yeah, I definitely agree. But I think, you know, this was kind of the final nail in the coffin of why Notre Dame I think deserved to be in the mm-hmm. playoff over at Texas A&M. Notre Dame beat North Carolina pretty easily, shut down their offense, yeah. you know, without much difficulty. And then UNC down their top two running backs, down their top receiver was able to still put up 27 points against Texas A&M. And I know we'll get to Notre Dame losing to Alabama, but yeah, I think this game kind of showed that I think Notre Dame deserved to be in once and for all over Notre or over Texas A&M this year. Yeah, I completely agree with you on that. It just it looked like they were were just below the mark of like a playoff caliber team, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, still a great season for them, no doubt. Mm-hmm. But yeah, all right, let's get to the college football playoff semifinals. Mm-hmm. Uh, two not too great games, but we'll talk about them anyways. Number one, Alabama cruises to the Rose Bowl slash Jerry Bowl semifinal victory over number four Notre Dame, thirty-one to fourteen. Mac Jones, four touchdown passes, three of those two Heisman winner, Devontae Smith. And my question for you, Phil, is if you're a Notre Dame fan, how do you feel about this season? How how, about, how do you feel about the state of the program right now? Yeah, and, and that's tough to say. Uh, and, John, because, yeah, you, you got to go to the dance or you got to go to the playoffs, but then you put up an egg like that. There are a lot of people talking about before the game saying, yes, Alabama's going to win, but Notre Dame's going to be able to compete at the line. I didn't see that happening. I saw Alabama dominate the line of scrimmage. And so uh, I'm feeling like, well, I'm a Notre, if I'm a Notre Dame fan, I'm probably not saying we feel artificially uh, ranked high because, you know, the Notre Dame fans I have met generally have a lot of confidence in that program. But, I mean, I, I've got I've got some pretty serious questions. Can Brian Kelly win the big game you know we've seen him in the playoffs before hasn't happened hasn't happened I feel like that's kind of like the cliche sort of question to ask Uh, I'm asking questions like you know Kyron Williams the running back the superstar running back got shut down how did that happen how was he not able to be more of an impact player Uh, Ian Book he is now leaving the program what's going to happen at the quarterback position I mean are we really going to go from somebody that's an incredibly accurate dynamic passer to Jack Cohn I 
I'm feeling like we had a pretty good year. Obviously, the loss to Clemson and then the loss to Bama is frustrating. Um, as a Notre Dame fan, you want them to be able to sometimes win those matchups, especially like whenever the starters are in. Because if you remember, whenever they beat Clemson, um, Trevor Lawrence was out due to COVID. But I'm feeling okay. I'm not feeling like uh, I'm not feeling like we are necessarily going to be competing for national titles anytime soon though. How about you? Yeah. I mean, it's tough. It seems like right now college football is a, uh, in the top tier is three teams. It's Alabama, it's Clemson, it's Ohio state. And then you know, that's the next tier and Notre Dame's, you know, near that top of that tier, which is good. It gets you into the playoffs. It's their second time in the playoff. And I think the last three or four years. So that's good. But you know, once you get there, you don't really expect Notre Dame to win or really be close to winning. You know, they scored a touchdown late to make it kind of respectable. You know, 17-point losses, I guess, okay. It's They covered the spread, you know, it was a 20 or 19-point spread. But, you know, it's it's tough right now in college football. It seems like there's only three teams that can win unless you get a, a team like LSU where everything comes together right for you like it did last year. And LSU has the talent to do that, and I think Notre Dame can get the talent to do that. But again, it seems like everything will need to go right for them to win a national title like it did for LSU last year. And, you, you know, you might have had your best chance at quarterback with Ian Book in a, in a while. And and let's be honest too, Caleb. Notre Dame doesn't really have the prestige that it had in decades prior. I mean, now it's, yeah, it's a good program, but I don't really know how many – how many people are, you know, clawing it to bits to to play for the Irish whenever they can play for like an SEC school that's going to get you a great draft position if you're a good player. Mm, yeah, exactly. All right, let's get to the other semifinal game, the Sugar Bowl. Ohio State gets a revenge from last year over number two, Clemson, 49-28. And it looked like things were doomed for Ohio State when Justin Fields got absolutely crushed on a huge hit from James Skalski, who was ejected on the play for targeting his second straight game in that building, being ejected for targeting as he did the same thing last year against LSU. But Justin Fields came back and he responded with six touchdown passes. That's right. Six touchdown passes. I think he only had six incompletions on the game. This was, you know, maybe the best performance injured I've maybe ever seen from a quarterback at college football. So good Kudos to Justin Fields for that. Trevor Lawrence had an okay day. Okay, 400 yards passing, two touchdowns and an interception. He also fumbled the ball three times, which he's doesn't normally do. So I wouldn't be too nervous about fumbling issues if I were the Jacksonville Jaguars. Cornell Powell had the big day at wide receiver, eight for 139 and two touchdowns. Olave caught two of the six touchdown passes from Fields. But the big difference was on the ground. You know, the... The I would say going into the draft right now, ETN's the best, the top-rated running back. He mm-hmm. had 10 carries for just 32 yards and a touchdown. Meanwhile, Trey Sermon, who's come on like a freight train these past few weeks, 31 carries, 193 yards and a touchdown. That's after the record-breaking performance against Northwestern, the Big Ten Championship game. And Trey Sermon's throwing his name in there as you know one of the best backs in the country as, to, as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, Caleb... I, f- I feel like you can compare Trey Sermon's running style over the past couple weeks to somebody like Derrick Henry and how he's doing with the Tennessee Titans and just how he is mowing people over. What do you think about that? 
Yeah, I don't think he's quite as big as Derrick Henry, but you're right. He's plowing people over, and he's got the speed to break away on long runs. So, yeah, Trey Sermon, I don't know what was up with him at the early part of the year. He barely played at all, I think, in the game against Penn State in the you know the first couple of games of the year, and a team like Master Teague was the starting running back. Mm-hmm. But uh, ever since Trey Sermon took over, partially because Master Teague has been unavailable for these past couple of games, he's been a monster, even better than he was at Oklahoma. Yeah, and you know Justin Fields with the phenomenal game has led some people to say, "Oh, it should be Fields as QB one on the draft." No, it shouldn't. It should be Trevor Lawrence. He is the better quarterback. But Fields had a phenomenal day that you just can't discount. You know, I was very impressed by number eleven, Ohio State. Um, and if you don't get that reference, Debo Sweeney said that Ohio State was the, to him, was the eleventh best team or should be ranked eleventh, not third. Well, uh, Kelby, you think he's eating crow for that now? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I get what he's saying, but it seemed like a foolish thing to do. Give, you know, add fuel to the fire. I think Ohio State probably wins this game, no matter if he had ranked Ohio State 11th or if he had Ohio State ranked first. So yeah. we'll see. Nick Saban had Ohio State ranked fifth behind Texas A&M. So we'll see if that adds any, if they still have that extra fire um, beneath them for their national championship game. Yeah. And, you know, I'll be honest, I've been disappointed with Clemson this year. Um, I mean, obviously, they, they had their own COVID issues and stuff, but even just Dabo Sweeney and, like, first his comments about Florida State and uh, then, you know, his comments about Ohio State. And I just feel like all season long, these Tigers have had a, a sense of arrogance about them that I'm just not about, uh, not really that interested in. I, I want a team to be confident, but whenever that confidence turns to arrogance instead, you know, the dark side. Uh, I'm, I'm just out on them. So I will be honest. I was excited to see the Buckeyes sort of uh, take Clemson to school and, and show them what a, uh, what, what a team can do there. And uh, I like Ryan day, even though, you know, I don't love that he beats Penn state. I, I like Ryan day. Yeah, I mean, Trevor Lawrence hit the bar so high. He won the national title as a true freshman, beat Alabama. They crushed him. It was like 42-16, to 16, and it was like, man, is this the end of the Alabama dynasty? Spoiler alert, it wasn't. But, um, you know, the, the stakes were so high. He set the bar so high, and then, you know, they lose the national championship last year. They lose in the semifinal this year. So as a Clemson fan, you got to be slightly disappointed. But, you know, they're still one of the few schools that can win a national championship, and right. they'll be fine next year with DJ Uyangalale. Yeah, he's going to be a good, good, good quarterback. <laughs> yeah, they need help on the offensive line for sure. It seemed Trevor Lawrence was getting harassed back there for most of the game. Well, I mean, really, it, it was just collectively watching this game, and we'll make our, our national title picks later, but I am definitely much higher on Ohio State now than I was before. Yeah, definitely. I think the line's about seven points or something like that. I'm guessing before the game, if there was like a theoretical line out there, it would have been much more than seven points, probably closer to two touchdowns. Agreed. All right, let's get into the Big Ten games. But first, of course, one was canceled due to COVID. Missouri had some COVID issues, so the Music City Bowl was canceled, and number 15 Iowa was not able to finish out their season. And I think Iowa would have uh, crushed Missouri in this game, but it's got to be kind of a disappointing end for Iowa, who was on a high streak to finish off the year after starting 0-2. Yeah, and it, it probably would have been a, a great game for the program, but the, the COVID mess at Mizzou hits. Uh, Iowa has obviously had their run-ins with COVID as well. Hopefully next season we won't say COVID so much on this podcast. Yeah, let's hope not. 
but hopefully we will say more about the Duke's Mayo Bowl as Wisconsin mm-hmm. beats Wake Forest 42-28. to Wake Forest quarterback Sam Hartman, 318 yards, three touchdowns, and four interceptions. This was on four consecutive mm-hmm. drives in the middle of the game. Um, uh, Wisconsin scored touchdowns on three of those drives. I think one of them was a pick six. And Wake Forest outgained Wisconsin 518 to 266, so about a two to one difference. But those four interceptions on four straight drives is really what doomed Wake Forest in this game, as their star receiver Jakari Roberson had three touchdowns and 131 yards receiving. Pretty sure he had a really good game against North Carolina earlier on in the year, too. So this guy is a sneaky guy. I haven't heard his name too much in NFL draft talks. I don't know if he's even eligible for the draft yet, but he seems like a sneaky good guy. Yeah, and. And on Wisconsin's side of the football, um, they just haven't – it's impressive that they won this game considering the fact that really all season long they, they've been struggling with identity and COVID issues. I know early on in the game it looked like Mertz was actually going to ball out like he did his first game of the season, but uh didn't really turn out completely like that. Uh, overall, a strong, strong performance by Wake Forest, but – not good enough with those four interceptions. I feel like I've been saying it all season. You got to win the turnover battle. It's obvious, but I think a lot of times whenever we look at these games, we look at the scores, we look at who won, who lost. We look at other issues. Look first at the turnovers. Four interceptions, you, you just can't do that. Caleb, you want to talk about what happened with the trophy for the Mayo Bowl? Yeah, Wisconsin was uh, partying in the locker room after the game and is remember, this is the first year of the Duke's Mayo Bowl. It took over for the Belk Bowl. They broke the trophy. And then I guess they had a, a bottle of Duke's Mayo, though, in the in the locker room, and they were able to tape it on top. So now it looks more like a more official bowl game trophy. Exactly. I think it was um, – so I think Mertz was out, like ended up out of the game, and the backup quarterback came in, mm-hmm. and uh, I think he was the one that broke it. <laughs> yeah, he was – it looks like – so. To, to paint a picture to the listeners at home, uh, it's a trophy with like a, a crystal football, very similar to like the national championship one that's on top. doesn't really look like it was like fastened in very well. And so, you know, they're doing these like super cool dances they can put on their Instagram profiles. And uh, whenever the dude was dancing, the football fell out and the crystal shattered. So, man. Yeah. And one of the biggest disappointments was when you do the Gatorade bath at the end that the Gatorade bin was not full of Duke's Mayo. Yes. I, I think Paul Christ would have been okay with that. <laughs> oh, I love Duke's Mayo. Have you have you had it on stuff before? No, we got Hellman's up here. I don't know if Duke's is even on our shelves up here in the grocery yeah. store. There's this really phenomenal burger place near us um, in Capenbridge, West Virginia. And they use Duke's Mayo on theirs. It's so good. Yeah. I mean, I saw the commercial enough. It's tangy, right? That's what they kept saying in the commercials. Yeah, I guess. I mean, like, I've only had it on the burgers. So, I mean, maybe I just love the burger. But I'm also a sucker for, like, whatever sort of sauce or condiments come with them. And, yeah, it's good stuff, Caleb. I would, uh, if you see it sometime, whenever you're out and about the country on your world tour, you know, pick up a bottle for yourself. Treat yourself. Yeah, will do. Next, the Big Ten matchup, the Citrus Bowl, where number 14 Northwestern beat Auburn 35-19. to 
Peyton Ramsey, 291 yards, three touchdowns on the day. Bo Nix, 292 yards, just one touchdown on the day. And uh, Northwestern got out to an early lead. Auburn fought back, but then Northwestern was able to put them away. And I was listening to another podcast, or I think it was earlier today, and Northwestern had like seven or eight players enter the transfer portal before this game. So, you know, I know Auburn was missing their head coach, obviously, that got fired for this before the game. So, but Northwestern had their own issues as well with some starters even down for this game in the transfer portal. So I'd say it was a pretty fair in terms of, you know, personnel available for this game. And Northwestern was still able to easily beat Auburn. And how about the progression of Peyton Ramsey from last year at Illinois, or uh, not Illinois, Indiana, to this year playing for Northwestern? Just how he has grown as a passer looks good. I mean, that's that's coaching and maturity there. So great job by him. Northwestern obviously disappointed to have lost that Big Ten title game, especially after playing Ohio State early on so well. Uh, maybe Clemson should have taken some notes, but. Uh, Great, great season for Northwestern. I love to see. I love to see them do well, and uh, yeah, they get to end it on a great note. Yep. Unfortunately, in the Outback Bowl, Indiana did not have the same fate as they were upset by Ole Miss, twenty-six to twenty. Jack Tuttle, the backup quarterback, two hundred one yards, no touchdowns, one interception on the day, and I heard he was playing hurt throughout this game, so mm-hmm. he was not at a hundred percent. So when your backup quarterback's in and he's not at 100%, that makes it tough to beat any opponent. Wap Fillier, you know, one of our favorite wide receivers in the Big Ten. He had 18 catches on the day, but just for 81 yards. So a lot of short passes, screen passes on the day. Stevie Scott had two touchdowns rushing for Indiana. And Ty Freifogel, who had a breakout season earlier in the year. He had back-to-back 200-yard games. Just three catches for 34 yards. I think with Jack Tittle's injury, he wasn't able to push the ball deep, and Fry Fogel is the more deep threat now for Indiana. Mm-hmm. Obviously, at the start of the season, I was really frustrated with Indiana and the questionable call. Um, I'm over it now, and and obvi- it's clear Indiana was a great program this season, and I loved rooting for them down the stretch. I mean, I'm trying to figure out what I'm more upset by. Am I more upset that Indiana lost to Ole Miss, or am I more upset that Coastal Carolina, a new team to the FBS and to the Bull stuff lost uh, to Liberty after their magical run. Just, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm probably more, I'm actually probably more upset that Indiana lost because I don't like Lane Kiffin or uh, Lane Kiffin with Ole Miss and uh, Ole Miss, you know, came into this game with a, with a pretty bad record. But I mean, Michael Penix Jr. was the focal point of that offense. So whenever he was down for the count, like you, like you said, with these short passes in, in these games, it's not like Wap Fillier and, and Freifogel are going to have as many opportunities from a guy like Jack Tuttle, who is good, but if he's playing hurt too, it's you're not going to be able to get the results you want out of him. So definitely a bummer way for the Hoosiers to end the season. But I, I don't know, Caleb. I think I think they'll be they'll still be okay next year. Yeah, Indiana should be good as long as uh, Penix is back and healthy for the start of the season. Yeah, which uh, doesn't bode well for Penn State, but uh, you know maybe we will uh, maybe we'll ride how we ended last season with uh, some more uh, good juju and uh, get rolling. Hey, speaking mm-hmm. of Penn State, you ready to talk Penn State, Caleb? Yeah, let's get into it. All right, let's talk recruit- recruiting, Caleb. I know you love it, and uh, I- I'll be honest, I didn't really follow recruiting too much until I think college. Whenever you were kind of showing me a little bit more about it, and uh, 
you know, sending me more info on it. Well, whenever it comes down to recruiting, let's start by looking at who did the best. Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, LSU, Clemson, and Oregon in the top six. Those are the six teams in college football that have won a college football playoff game. Wow, what a surprise, Caleb. I mean, honestly, any of those programs surprise you that they're in the top six recruiting? No, maybe Oregon because they're not like a traditional powerhouse. You know, you think maybe USC would be up there a little higher ahead of Oregon. But I guess since Oregon has, you know, that that college football playoff title game appearance, they have that win and they have that BCS appearance towards the end of the BCS era. They're still hanging on to that a little bit. Yeah, well, hey, let's talk USC. Number one overall recruit, Corey Foreman, a defensive end committed to USC after decommitting from Clemson last year. Little surprising to see a defensive lineman decommit from Clemson, considering how well they tend to do uh, in the draft. And I know it's high school. Come on, Phil. Like you don't need to think of their pro career. I'll, but I, I just love projecting these things. So uh, a little bit surprising. But I mean, I got a feeling you. If I got a feeling USC just obviously got a phenomenal recruit and uh, is really going to be able to become a little bit more of a defensive uh, stronghold, if you would, by assuring up the front seven. Over the last few years, we've been talking so much about USC's offense. Now, maybe he'll be, maybe Corey Foreman will be able to help solidify that defense a little bit more too. Yeah, we know uh, Kayvon Thibodeau, he was one of the top recruits. I think he was number one or number two when he went to Oregon a couple years ago, and he's, I think, starting to break out. Uh, you know, Jadevian Clowney was the number one recruit, went to South Carolina, you know, close to a decade ago now. So there's definitely been some top defensive end talent, and so we'll see if he can flourish at USC. Yeah, certainly uh, wish him the best unless he plays Penn State. Yeah. On the Penn State side of things, uh we had 15 verbal commits. They all signed their national letters of intent last month. So, uh, you know, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. Our recruiting class ranks number 23 overall. We were number 15 last year. Uh, we are the sixth best in the Big Ten. Our recruiting ranks go, uh, our recruits, well, how am I trying to say this? There, the schools ahead of us, Ohio State, Michigan, Wisconsin, Maryland, and Nebraska. If you go by average player rank, though, and, and Kale, maybe you can explain this to me. We're number four in average player rank, but we're ranked number six in recruiting in the Big Ten. How does that work? Yeah, so 15 is a small number of recruits for a recruiting class. You can have 85 scholarship players on your team at a time. And, you know, especially at the bigger schools, they have players leave earlier. So a recruiting class is more in the lower to mid-20s for uh for a normal recruiting class. So when you when you're doing the overall class rankings, they do that by total players overall. So having 15 is what brings us down a little bit. So that's why if you go by average player rank, we passed Maryland and Nebraska and we're just a fraction of a percent behind Wisconsin in total in average player rank. So that's why, you know, the class is down a little bit this year. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Caleb, now I want to go down and I want to I want to look at each of the cr- recruits that we have, um, but really I want to break it down by by star and which recruit from each star we are most excited about. Um, Caleb, and I, I'm going to ask you this too, and and you may may not have this answer. I think I have a general understanding of how they rank play recruits by stars, but you know what. Are, 
is it generally just you know a, a an arbitrary thing or is there like a science behind it yeah so i take my all of this is from a sport a website called 24 7 sports and they're you know the top recruiting website so they rank players and a perfect perfectly ranked player is 1.000 you know there were no players of that this year. I think the last one may have been Jadevian Clowney back in 2011. So I think, you know, right around 0.99 something, something, that's when the, where that's where the cutoff is from five stars down to four stars. And then you go further down and that's when you go from four stars down to three stars and so on and so forth. So I think you have to hit that number 0.99, whatever it is, or 0.98, whatever it is for you to be a five-star recruit. Okay. So like if we get like a five-star punter, that's a, that's a 1.000 punter yeah i think when i think there's uh different outlets that do special teams rankings with punters and kickers and long snappers so i think a five-star punter is generally going to be a three-star recruit overall so they're going to be in the you know point nines or maybe even point eight five or something like that i just remember us talking about something with that earlier but anyway mm-hmm. let's go ahead and let's start looking at uh these players because we do have it does look like we have some good talent coming in uh, our four stars, our offensive tackle, Landon Tangwell, number 50 player overall. Four-star wide receiver, Lonnie White Jr., number seven player from Pennsylvania. Four-star cornerback, Kalen King, number eight player from Michigan. Um, four-star safety, Jalen Reed. He is the 17th ranked safety. And another four-star safety, Zaki Wheatley, the number two ranked safety. Caleb, I think we're probably both going to be in agreement on this one, but which of these which of these four star players excites you the most? Um, I don't know who you're going to go with. I'm going to go with Lonnie White Jr. Penn State's had a great track record with wide receivers over the years, and Parker Washington being the latest one. So I'm excited to see Lonnie White Jr. Um, I'm guessing at this point, Jahan Dotson is staying for another year. He could obviously go to the NFL draft, and that he still has obviously that chance. I think we would have heard by now, but you know, we still got his time to decide. So I don't know if Lonnie White will be an instant impact player, but I think by year two for him he will be an impact player for us the way that wide receivers have been going at Penn State yeah I mean he should play he should be somebody that can come in early and hopefully make a big impact I was actually thinking you were going to pick Landon Tangwell I I mean you and I both have had our frustrations with the offensive line um I've been so frustrated with them saying oh we have like all this experience on the line all this experience on the line well now we're going to get somebody ranked pretty high uh, as some fresh blood on that offensive line, I don't know if he's going to be a starter right away, but you know he with a, with a four star ranking, you imagine that he's going to see some time. Uh, I'm excited to see what they're able to do with them as they as they start to build a new offensive line. I know it hasn't been like this, but it feels like these offense like the starters from this last season have been at Penn State for an eternity, uh, even though they have not. But, you know, you get Juice Scruggs on the line eventually. You get Tangwell there and uh, and some others. It, it should be good. Mm-hmm. For the three stars, we have offensive linebacker Jamari Budin. He is the number 25 ranked outside linebacker. Three-star inside linebacker Kobe King, who is the number 19 ranked inside linebacker. Caleb, I can't remember. Is Kobe related to Kalen? Yes, they are twins. Yeah, that's right. So he's the number 19 ranked inside linebacker, three-star pro-style quarterback, Christian Veyu, a Canadian quarterback, A, uh, number 19 ranked quarterback in the country coming out. 
Uh, three-star defensive end, Rodney McGraw, number six player from Indiana. Three-star cornerback, Jeffrey Davis Jr., number three player from Connecticut. Three-star quarterback, Liam Clifford. Yes, that's right. The little brother of Sean Clifford, the number 83-ranked wide receiver. Uh, Three-star wide receiver, Harrison Wallace, number 88-ranked wide receiver. Offensive guard, Nate Bruce, the number 30-ranked offensive guard. Uh, Khalil Dinkins, tight end, number 34-ranked tight end. And Sander, Sander oh, Caleb, uh, Sahadik, the yeah, number two. How is it? That sounds good to me. Okay, cool. The number two ranked kicker. Caleb, three stars. Which one? Again, I'm going to go with a position of strength we've had recently tight end. I'll go with Khalil Dinkins. You know, again, I don't know how much playing time I'll get next year, with especially with, as you mentioned earlier, Canadian Christian Veyu. Uh, Theo Johnson, he was a Canadian recruit at tight end, and he got some playing time this year, and I think he'll only grow, so... I'm excited to see what someone like Khalil Dinkins is able to do with how well our tight ends have done recently. Yeah, I mean, I think we, I think we're definitely in a good spot there. Uh, obviously, Liam Clifford would be an enticing option, being the brother of of Clifford. I am more interested, in, and I guess this is more a long game sort of thing because I don't think he's going to play any time soon. But you know, I, I love the quarterback position, so I'm very interested to see what Christian Veyu does he he seems to talk a pretty big game on uh social media and um I, I know i was a little bit frustrated with him whenever he was saying you know if you're gonna you know say bad things about the penn state program when they're down you don't get to celebrate when they're good or whenever you're going to criticize i think it was what it was whenever you know i felt like if you're a fan you're allowed to have standards but nevertheless i mean the guy the kid has talent and so i'm looking forward to seeing what he's able to do with it uh, I I don't imagine he's going to get much playing time this season, but with what I've continued to say, I don't think our answer at quarterback is on the depth chart. Maybe he's it, and uh, and we can certainly hope that he is uh, better than Hackenberg for uh, two guys with the same first name. Okay, <laughs> one thing that I am that I'm kind of wondering and frustrated about, and uh, I'm sure you feel similar. Jim Harbaugh obviously has a problem recruiting in Michigan. We seem to be having a problem recruiting in Pennsylvania. Only one of the top 10 players in Pennsylvania was signed this year. Um, We've signed five of the top 12 next year, but let's be honest, sometimes those players will decommit. Some of the top recruits from Pennsylvania, you know, Terrell Pryor, DeAndre Swift, Kyle Pitts were big college recruits from Pennsylvania that, that we missed out on. What do you think? Are we having a recruiting problem in Pennsylvania? Is it, what's the deal? Yeah. And James Franklin has talked about this a little bit and he's acknowledged that it is a problem. And he said, one of the biggest problems is that they don't offer the scholarship suit enough, especially to in-state players. So I think that's one thing they're going to start to do is just offer scholarships to players in state. And hopefully that's going to, you know, hopefully fix part of our problem. And we're off to a good start with, you know, getting five of the top 12 next year. Um, yeah. And I think the biggest issue is, you know, you know, oh, uh, you know, maybe they leave to go to Alabama or LSU because they've won national titles recently, Clemson, something like that. These guys are going to Ohio State. These guys are going to Pitt. These guys are going to our rivals. You know, I know we're not playing Pitt anymore and probably not anytime soon. 
But, you know, these guys, yeah, they're going to our rivals and they're, you know, could be there beating us in a future, you know, guys last year, Kyle McCord, he was one of the top ranked quarterbacks. He'll be at Ohio State next year, presumably once Justin Fields leaves. So that's the, I think the more frustrating part. Yeah. And, and you know, you said it too, they're going to the rivals that beat us. And, and all I think is Terrell Pryor. And, and how he, he left. Fortunately, we did get to hand him a loss, but um, just in general, frustrate the daylights out. We are doing, like like you said, though, and, and like we we were saying, five of the top 12 PA players next year. I am glad Franklin has identified this as an area of growth for the team. Uh, already next year is looking good on the recruiting front. We've signed eight four-star prospects, so uh, that is good news. On the transfer front, this is probably – some of the this is probably some of the biggest transfer news that uh, Penn State has had in at least in recent memory for me. Uh, we are going to lose a couple players, probably Cole Pepper. Who I mean, honestly, was he making much of an impact? Caleb? Uh, he was a starter, but he's not like a big uh, stat stuffer in terms of sacks or anything like that. Yeah, so you know he he has entered the transfer portal. Antonio Shelton, our starting defensive tackle, entered the transfer. F- uh, portal for Florida as I believe a graduate transfer wishing yeah. him the best there and uh, still pretty big loss to our defensive line mm-hmm. yeah but uh, James Franklin said that he wanted to be active in the transfer portal this year and that makes sense with having a smaller recruiting class that we mentioned earlier of just 15 players and you know he wasn't lying when he talked about it so first off we got graduate transfer from Baylor running back John Lovett he has 1600 rushing yards in his career and 18 touchdowns Um, South Carolina quarterback John Dixon has also transferred he has three seasons of eligibility remaining so still time to um, you know grow him Duke defensive tackle Derek Tangelo also transfers. He is a more run-stopping defensive tackle, and he is listed as a possible Antonio Shelton replacement. So that'll be good to, you know, fill that right away. And then finally, Temple defensive end Arnold Ebiketti. He was second team All AC All AAC last year at Temple. He had a really good year, breakout year, and I think he has two years of eligibility remaining. But he is also a grad transfer, so he can start right away next year for us. So you know, James Franklin said he wanted to get active in there, and he definitely uh, put his money where his mouth is. Yeah, I mean these are all these are all great positions of need to uh, to bring in and support the team. I know I'm really excited to see what John Dixon does, especially because he has three years of eligibility left, and uh, it never hurts to have more quality defensive backs, especially because uh, eventually. Tariq Castro Fields has to graduate, but it's not going to be next year. Uh, he's coming back using that extra year of eligibility to come back. He is not going to the senior bowl. And um, in the meantime, we have a couple of players declaring for the NFL draft, Jason Owe and Shaka Tony, two great players. Uh, Jason Owe, definitely more of a run st- stuffer and not as much of a sack compiler. Shaka Tony was definitely one of the leaders of the defense, strong player up front. I'm predicting both these guys are going to go pretty high and and wish them the absolute best uh, as they get ready for their futures. Yeah, that's why I think I'm most excited about Ebikidi from Temple to come in. Hopefully he can start right away and be one of the starters to replace either Owe or Tony on the defensive edge there. Exactly. All right, let's get into our bowl mania standings. 
this year so far i won 14 and 11 phil you reversed that you won 11 and 14 so second straight year i win the bowl mania challenge um beast yeah i'm a bowl mania expert apparently just 14 11 though so not a great year (laughs) um if we look at the conference bowl records here big 12 mac both went undefeated this year pac 12 conference usa and the ACC all went winless this year. Mm. And then uh, big ones here, SEC and Big Ten are tied right now, so they will be able to decide which one gets the higher ranking in the college football national championship game when those two conferences meet. Uh, any big things stand out here for you in the conference standings for bowls? I would just say the Sun Belt going 4-1. and one. Again, new conference, relatively new. Being able to uh, perform well in bowl games, it's a – it's a good look for them. And the only team that lost lost to Liberty. So not exactly a not exactly a, a frustrating loss by any stretch of the imagination. So I'm going to say the Sun Belt four and one, but I also do want to take a moment to look at the fact that the ACC went 0 and six, and that was solidified with that Clemson loss. I mean, yikes, kill. Yikes. Yeah, and what five of those teams were ranked? NC State, UNC, Miami, Clemson, and Notre Dame. So, yeah, not great end of the season for the ACC. You know, you don't usually take too much from bowl games. I think in some ways you can kind of take a little bit more this year because you know there weren't like there wasn't like a month off between the bowl games. So mm-hmm. these teams were you know fresh. There was no rust element or anything like that. But obviously, opt outs had some impact in there. COVID probably had impacts on some of these games as well that we didn't mention or weren't aware of. So it's hard to take these with, you know, full confidence, you know, oh, the ACC stink is going to stink next year while the Big 12 is going to get two teams in the playoff or something like that. But still notable to point these records out. Yeah, it's it's definitely something to to reflect on. I I know as we were looking at and picking the games this year, it was tough just simply from with the way COVID worked this season, it was hard to get a grip on teams. This is me making an excuse for doing so badly in uh, in bull picks. I hope again hopefully next year we won't say covid so much on this podcast anymore and we can go back to having college football how we like it fans in the stands games being played and uh being able to make excellent picks that should someday get us on college game day picks caleb yes speaking of picks let's get into our final pick of the season the cfp national championship game number three ohio state versus number one alabama alabama seven and a half point favorite and this will be played on monday night 8 p.m on basically any channel that espn owns with their mega cast <laughs> alabama is three and one all time against ohio state but ohio state did win the last meeting in the 2015 college football playoff semifinal, 42 to 35 where zeke ran all over alabama's defense phil who you got yeah, they won that game of their third string quarterback too, right? Yes, or, or did they, Jones. Yeah, because it was Cardale at that point, right? I think so. I think the backup got injured in the uh, Big Ten championship game, or That's right before the Big Ten championship game, something like that. Yeah. Um, all this being said, Ohio State did so well against Clemson, really shutting them down. A team that you know was, I assume, I just assumed and, and wrote their ticket to the national title. And then uh, the Buckeyes said, uh, I don't think so. That being said, th- what Alabama is able to do on offense and defense just cannot be matched right now. Um, I, ha- I have Alabama winning this game. I have them winning this game 42-31, to 31, and I know that's above the spread, but I'm going to be honest with you. I think one of those touchdowns Bama scores is like 
something weird happens at the end of the game and they manage to score an extra one. I have the I think this game is going to be a whole lot closer. Kill I know you're going to give your score in a second. Um I have a feeling most of this game is going to be really really tight and just at the end Alabama is going to add like a add a nail in the coffin touchdown, but it should be a great game. I'm expecting Devontae Smith to go crazy. Um and and I know Ohio State has great defense. I imagine they're going to put Sean Wade on him for most of the game. I think that would be the wise decision. Najee Harris is going to do a great job running. I know Ohio State has tough Borland. Um, but I just think there are too many weapons for Alabama for Ohio State to to fully be able to manage uh, compared to um, compared to some of their other opponents. So, yeah, I got Alabama winning this game. I got to be in a good national championship game. Caleb, who you got? I am taking Alabama 38-34. to 34. I agree. I think Alabama, their defense is pretty good, but to they've given up points this year to good teams. You know, they've given up points to Florida. They've given up points to Ole Miss, who can show that they're a very good offense. And Ohio State is that. Obviously, the elephant in the room is how good will Justin Fields be? How healthy will he be? But um, you know, if he can go out and throw six touchdowns while be having his ribs smashed i don't know if they were confirmed broken or anything like that i think he'll be able to perform and put up some points against alabama but yeah i don't know if ohio state's defense is going to be able to hold down alabama's elite offense that we've seen so far this year i think alabama has a better offensive line and they'll be able to slow down that ohio state defensive line enough and give mac jones time to hit Devontae smith for at least two touchdowns in this game yeah it's it's gonna be a really good game i mean it this has all the makings of a high scoring national title game. And that's something that I like to see. I like seeing points scored, especially in college football um, and seeing the players make those crazy catches. So, uh, and crazy runs and throws and everything else excited for it. Make sure you tune in and, uh, and watch the show. I know it's tempting with the bachelor on at that time, but uh, come on, it's college football. People watch it. Um, want to go ahead and say thanks for listening to our show and you know hopefully this uh this has been a worthwhile experience for you if this is your first time listening to the show i hope that you will take an opportunity to subscribe that way you can get notifications anytime a new episode comes out we will have another show here coming up to recap the college football national championship and uh, talk a little bit more about uh some things as we head off to the off season but uh we're heading toward the near we're heading toward the close of the season, Caleb. Yeah, it's been a fun season though. I I would 100% agree. So, uh, you know, again, thank you so much for tuning in and checking out the podcast. Caleb, any final words of wisdom before we sign off? Go Penn State. We are.